This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly Solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we are also partnered with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge uses military intelligence to track deer patterns using data from insurance companies, collared deer studies, and even social media. Spartan Forge uses the same techniques used to plan military operations to predict and pattern white-tailed deer. Spartan Forge. Find. Fix. Finish. You can check them out at spartanforge.ai, and you can use the code bowhunter to save 25%. All right, everybody, another episode from Dan Infault. Uh, now, this episode is, uh, you know, we started kind of late, uh, a little bit of scheduling stuff, so we kind of were maybe a little all over the place on this one, but I don't know. Dan keeps coming back on the show, and... I think he laughs more in this one than I've heard him on any of the other podcasts that uh, I've listened to him on. So we must be doing something right. But this is a, this is a fun one talking to Dan about. You know, obviously we talk about the new stand, we talk about the um, his sticks, the beast gear. Uh, we talk about his scouting workshops. He just announced the dates for his scouting workshops. So um, you know, we talk a little bit about going there. We did a whole video from the scouting workshop last year that you know many of you have seen it's got a ton of views on our youtube but um if you've got a chance to go to that i definitely think that it's worth it um if you're trying to figure this out um and trying to see how these uh setups are uh, dan does a great job in his videos of showing you how to do that but going there and being able to pick his brain um is just is, is pretty awesome. I think you guys are going to really like this episode. Um, you know, everything with, that Dan does is, 
is great, but, uh, you know, this was a fun one. Like I said, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of laughs in this one. Um, I just got done, uh, on Instagram live, uh, announcing our Patreon winners. Uh, but I don't think, I think Jerry was on there. Uh, but the winners, uh, I don't believe were on there to see. So Brandon Sadler won the mystery ranch, uh, sawtooth pack with the lid. Uh, Ryan Schultz was our winner for, uh, Badlands rain gear. Uh, so Ryan, you got to get a hold of me uh, and let me know what size you want so I can get that ordered for you. And uh, Jerry Casperson, he won the the pro pack from Base Map with the swag and all of that. So um, that was from the last quarter of last year. And so uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding deal where uh, you sign up. Um, right now, everything is set up at five dollars a month. You could give us more if you want to. Some people do, um, but Basically, you know, five bucks a month, 17 cents a day um, for a chance to win all this great stuff. And um, it helps to show out because it allows us to try new gear, uh, try some stuff out. I got a, um, it's actually used, but um, I didn't want to buy one new. I've got a a Hawk saddle kit here that I'm going to do a long form um, review slash evaluation. And I'm no expert, but I'm just, I can tell you of all the saddles that I've seen, how this one compares and uh, what things are, are scary to me, but it allows us to do stuff like that. Um, and, and to get this gear and try it out and, and, you know, be informed. So that's one thing when we, we talk to people, uh, we don't like to talk on things that we don't have any experience with. So, um, you know, it allows us to do that stuff. So you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, or you can go to Bowhunter Chronicles podcast.com and click on our Patreon, or I think on our Instagram, uh, if you click on the link there, there's a, a thing for Patreon. And so now as we're getting into, um, you know, 2021, we're like in our third or fourth year of doing this podcast. And, um, we haven't given away a bow. We're not affiliated with any bow companies or anything. Um, I'm trying, you know, it would be nice if someone would give us a bow to give away. Um, but the patrons are allowing us to do that. So we are going to give away a bow for 2021. We're going to give it away at the total archery challenge. Um, I've got a pretty good idea of what we're going to do. Um, John is going to take it step by step um, and explain to you guys on the podcast on YouTube um, what he's doing, how he's setting up this bow. Um, it's going to be a complete setup bow. Um, we talked with HHA. Uh, it's going to have HHA components on it. The guys over there, Chris, is amazing. We uh, I got in touch with him through uh, Eric Clark of the Where to Hunt podcast. So thank you so much, Eric. And he put me in touch with Chris. And uh, so we're getting a you know a site rest and uh, all of that. Uh, straight from uh, HHA and we're going to get those set up and it's going to be on that bow and that's going to be available to anybody that listens to the podcast through a couple of different ways um, but the patrons are definitely going to be heavy-handed in uh, in winning that so um, you know they're going to have I think for every month that there have been a patreon uh, it's going to be more uh, entries um, and then you know by purchasing shirts or anything like that you'll be able to enter as well uh, but you don't have to buy anything to win but those will give you additional chances so that's one of the things we're doing for 2021 um, the beast stand we're also going to be giving away one of those um, I'm waiting to see what shakes out on this bow build because that's coming out of pocket um, but 
we're going to be ordering one of those. We've got some time. They're not even going to ship until June. Um, so those are on pre-order, but I'll get one of those ordered probably uh, the end of this month and we'll figure out how we're going to give that away. But we are going to be giving away one of the B stands as well. Um, the first quarter, you know, we're still doing uh, Tacticam. Tacticam has been really great to us. Uh, and so we're going to give away a Tacticam 5.0 uh with the turkey reaper uh can't reap them in michigan but um that's one of the things we're going to be giving away from uh tacticam and then from like our youtube and our um just from the podcast from the last gear podcast the guys from latitudes reached out and said hey you really like that classic i'll give you one to give away so we're going to give that away for the first quarter and i've got some xop mini sticks um, so I'm going to package that all and just get a complete saddle hunting package. Uh, so it's going to be some XOP sticks, um, a latitude saddle and probably their ropes. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do for a platform yet. We'll, we'll figure something out on that. Um, let me know, uh, shoot me a message or whatever, but, uh, yeah, so we're looking at, uh, Tacticam 5.0 with the Reaper, uh, the latitude classic saddle. And then I'll, also with base map, base map. You know, we use them exclusively um, I, for the value. I don't think you can beat it, especially if you use the code uh, Chronicles when you sign up online for that. And uh, you get 20% off, so it's like $2 a month for base map for the entire country. Uh, but they give away a swag pack, so it's going to be a pro uh, subscription and a swag pack from that. The spartan forge um you know if you listen to the last podcast uh pretty excited to see how that all shapes out um using that monitoring you know deer movement on the days that uh you know the the app says statistically have been uh the best days and so they're going to give away uh one of those subscriptions in a swag pack as well so i mean there's a ton of different things that we're doing through through patreon and uh, you know you're supporting the show uh but we're doing our best to make it worth your while you know and say that you know you guys really do mean the world to us so um it's a really long-winded thing but we got a lot of stuff going on for 2021 we're giving away a lot of stuff um and we're excited to talk about it and like i said you can go to patreon.com forward slash born chronicles podcast check that out and you can um you know just go to our website click on the link on instagram whatever doesn't matter though if you guys are listening to this and you've made it through this i can't thank you enough just tell somebody about the podcast. You know, if you say, I don't want to win any of your stuff, I'll buy my own stuff. It doesn't matter. I don't want to support you guys. I appreciate this, this free platform. You know, that's awesome. Just do us a favor and tell somebody else about the podcast and, uh, you know, maybe say, Hey, listen to this or, Hey, these guys are giving away this, or this is what they're doing. Check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to that. Um, you know, those things help us out incredibly because it gets us in front of more people but um like i said this is a fun episode um <laughs> at the end you know if you stick through it all the way to the end uh you can reach out to dan he said if you buy his truck he'll sell it to you and autograph it uh it's sitting there waiting for you in wisconsin right next to the marsh so uh look at that at the end of the episode but uh like i said thanks for listening Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast here tonight with a man who needs no introduction, the big buck serial killer, Dan Infault. 
how you doing tonight, Dan? Good. The uh, so I want to say you know congratulations on finally getting the stand out and um, you know everything that's been a a, a big long uh, ordeal. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, you know I mean I think it bears mentioning right off the bat that you know it's been a a long process for you and uh it's got to feel good to just finally have it out there and you know be moving forward yeah yeah that feels pretty good <laughs> so I, I just wanted to start off by saying you know last year we were able to go over and um you know get to see the real dan infault you you get to see uh, when i talked to joe um rep meester about trying to talk to you on the podcast last year or the year before it was like, you're seem like an intimidating guy, you know? And he's like, Oh no, he's a, he's a sweetie. You know, he's such a nice guy. And, uh, you know, reached out and had you on the podcast. And then we came over for the scouting workshop and man, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, that the amount of information and everything there, I mean, just what a great, uh, experience. So, you know, if guys get a chance to do that, I mean, I definitely recommend it. Um, so, <laughs> For for us here and and getting to go over there and it really affected our our hunting styles and everything. For yourself, doing those scouting seminars and workshops and YouTube and everything, how has that affected your hunting? Um, by you know, kind of showing everybody how you do it. Uh it's it's definitely. Um... Uh, made my success the amount of deer I killed go down um but it's um i mean it it's more of what i what I do and who I am now. I love helping other people um but yeah, I see a lot more people in uh the areas I hunt um a lot more smarter hunters on public land. I don't know that the numbers of people have gone up, but they're hunting smarter they're hunting in the right spots where it used to be like the people that were on uh public land were more uh uneducated kind of the i don't want to call them dumber or something but they just didn't have the knowledge and they would hunt in spots that were kind of amateur you know like uh, where they see a big rub or something um rather than hunt based on the terrain and stuff and now you see a lot more guys that are hunting based on the terrain and uh where bedding should be and stuff like that and they're uh there's only so many spots like that in some of these places, you know? Um, but if I get away from home and I go on travel trips, I do a lot better. And that was going to be one of my next questions. Do you feel, um, you know, I, I, I know I've heard you say, and I know you probably said it on our podcast too, that you like to have, you know, 30 spots or, or, you know, a, a numerous amount of spots, but how does that affect like, you know, when you go to a, a another state, um, do you feel like, I don't know, liberated in a sense where you're going and looking at stuff fresh the first time where you don't go, you have, a, do you have a different set of expectations? Um, no, you know, I go into all of it, uh, kind of open mind and just see what we're going to run into. And I think, uh, I've always kind of got the thing in the back of my mind where it's going to be easy. I'm just going to go in there and kill a big buck and it's going to be no problem, even though it doesn't always work out that way. But, um, that mindset I think is is good for me, but I actually like, uh, going into new areas and stuff like, and challenging areas. I mean, like this year, uh, I wanted to take a road trip, um, after I shot my buck in Wisconsin and, uh, 
uh, I was trying to figure out where to go and I talked about it a little bit online and uh, I mean I was getting offers like you wouldn't believe people were like come down and hunt my uh, 400 acre farm in, in uh, central Illinois it's loaded with giant bucks and they're sending me trail cam pictures of these giants in their fields and stuff and I chose to just go down and hunt some public and a little private with uh, uh, Josh friend of mine and and just uh you know, we're low odds, but it, it just seems like a more enjoyable time, you know. Um, uh, it's different now, you know, for me. Where I think a lot of the people listening to me are still in a stage where they really want to kill big bucks, you know. Um, so I, I kind of try to put myself into challenging situations. I like new situations. I like to go into areas that um, I've never been before and figure it out. And I think there's a sense of accomplishment when I go into somewhere where any just about anybody can hunt you know walk in there and figure it out and get the job done when other people aren't kind of thing it's there's a sense of accomplishment there so so when you go into a new new area what is your most challenging terrain that to find a, a good buck um challenging terrain like well the say like hill country or swamp or like when you're okay. going into a new yeah. area um, I would say probably, um, flat big woods would probably be the most challenging that are very large, um, timbered swamps, like, um, that are solid, like, um, uh, Tamarack or, or something like that. Anything that's got a monotonous terrain where there isn't much, uh, it's different. You know what I mean? There isn't much, um, edge. Okay. So like for you trying to figure these spots out and on these, uh, you know, you've got a, like a giant bag of tricks and a lot of experience to pull from, you know, as you go to these new States and, um, new challenging terrains and, and things like that. Um, and you say that you like to figure it out, like, I think I'm in the point in my career where like, I like, I, I'm, I'm starting to add to that bag of tricks and where I want, I'm trying to gain more experience and more knowledge. Like for guys that are just starting that journey, like I guess how long say the swamp that you did your, uh, your scouting, you know, seminar that we did, like how long did it take you to figure out that piece of property? Cause I think now, you know, when you say like, Oh, I like to go in and figure it out, but you're on a trip that's seven days, you know? And, you know, mm -hmm. like for me, I've been, this is my, this was my second year hunting this piece of property that I'm trying to figure out. And I feel like I'm just getting that one little step closer, that one little step closer. Um, so what do you think is like, how long did it take you to do that and, and figure it out? Well, that's going to differ uh, depending on the guy who's uh, doing it. But for me, um, this marsh, I, I've hunted um, a large portion of my life. But going into marshes like this, um, there's two or 3,000 acres in a marsh-type terrain. It usually will only take me uh, a season to get it down. I mean, I, one season of scouting and then hunting, um, I'll know most of the good stuff in there. And then by the time you get about three or four seasons into it, I really know well. And that's because you kind of got to rotate through the bed in there is not overhunt them to kind of find out what's really good and what's really happening. 
have to see where the action is kind of thing. But uh, usually my scouting is pretty spot on. Okay. And, and then in doing so, you're just looking for, you know, commonalities of each bedding area, each, all of the terrain features, et cetera, correct? Yeah, I'm kind of going in there. And I usually look at an area as, as uh, more of the mindset of uh, what's getting overlooked. And and does that overlook stuff have the terrain to hold a big buck? Uh, most of the big bucks I find are in spots that nobody would look at. And so uh, I guess kind of going back to like what we said about, you know, how has it changed your, you know, you know, putting all this information out there and Onyx and, uh, you know, podcasts like this one. Base you know, map. Yeah. Where, where people, I mean, just the advent of the online mapping that anybody can, can, can have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it, that, that alone takes that, that fear piece out of it for a lot of guys going in there uh, further. Um, but, now, like in one of your most recent videos, you did the, you know, the dating the fat chick, uh, you know, long form episode. Now, do you think, or is that a, like a genius ploy to get people closer to the road so that you can? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no genius ploy there. It's, it's for real. But, uh, you, you know, I see a lot of that pressure behind my house. Um, and I think it's because people like Google my name and look at my address or something. They know I live here. You know, um, I've seen a big uptick in the last few years of non-resident cars in all the parking lots. Um, and wherever I run into somebody, they know who I am. Where it didn't used to be that five years ago, you know. But if I go just 20 miles down the road, those marshes and those swamps have pressure too. It's gone up a little, but nowhere near like here. And I can still get on big bucks pretty fast. Um, and the, there's still a lot of overlooked spots. So I doubt it's affecting everybody's um, hunting areas really negatively. Um, probably more mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so uh, John's brother hunts this property. He's been hunting for decades. And he's running into guys now that say, well, I just found this on oh, online. And, you know, they're, he's in there and they're, I mean, they're not taking the right entryway in there, walking miles to get to a spot that, you know, is easily accessed from a, a yeah. tote road or something. And, uh, I mean, even John, like last year was looking at, you know, I guess we would call them beastie looking spots. And he runs into guys with hunting beast stickers on their car and full lone wolf setups <laughs> and stuff. And he's like, okay, well, these guys know what they're doing, or at least we're, we're trying to do the same thing. Um, so yeah. I, th- I think as you've gone through this and you've, um, started to put, I mean, cause you've been putting out information forever, but do you think in the uptick of, uh, podcasts and, and YouTube and, and everything like that, like knowing what you know today about pressure and, and everything, would you have done anything differently? I um, know. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in this to help people. I, I really... I, it might sound weird to some people, but uh, I want to um, help people become better hunters because I think it'll do uh, a lot for our sport. You bring more people into hunting, more people like hunting, more people think positively about hunting. And if you and if those people are out there hunting and they're just failing and they're miserable and they don't know what they're doing, which is what it was if you go back 15, 20 years ago, because everybody that turned on TV or tried to learn something just saw 
you know, ranches full full of giant bucks that were managed, and they were trying to mimic those tactics out on public land uh, where the majority of people hunt. And if you give those people an education on how to hunt and that they can still do it, and you give them hope, and they go out there and they, they see a little bit of success and they have fun, they'll keep hunting. They'll stay in the sport. They'll get their kids into the sport. And I think it's better all the way around. And I'd rather see young people getting into hunting than into drugs or into uh, hanging out with uh, guys getting into trouble, you know. Sure. Now, when you guys do, um, you know, granted, I mean, it seems like a lot of your your big buck kills and things like that, you know, some of them come early season, they've come all times, but a lot of them have been with a bow. We're kind of bow hunting, you know, centered. Um, that's just what we really enjoy. Um, how has the, like the deer, you know, you guys have a rich history, you know, just like Michigan, but, you know, doing the deer drives and you kind of showcase a lot of that on your, your show there. Um, how are you using, are you using that information? Um, for your hunts in the future are you using that as kind of like a scouting mission to say this is where the deer go when there's pressure or how are you using that as a tool other than just to shoot some deer and have some fun yeah a lot of times i'm taking a gun and i'm sneaking through uh bedding areas and stuff uh trying to jump deer but in a lot of cases i'm finding like new areas i want to go through and i'm actually kind of scouting them but with the possibility of killing something um, yeah, I do that a lot. And, uh, th- there's a lot to be said about, uh, in season scouting and seeing what's going on right during the season than just after. And, uh, even on years like this, when, uh, you know, I tag out early and I'm not really into doe hunting. So I, uh, I go out and get some scout done in season, you know, and figure out, you know, actual time what's going on, you know. And so like, so one of our listeners, he wanted to know, like, so for you, how do you unwind after the season or does the season ever stop? So a long grueling season, like I would say maybe last year where it was, you know, down to the last couple of days when you, you shot that doe from a folding chair, um, like after the season or, or does it, does the season never stop? Well, it, it kind of never stops, but there is, uh, it is kind of weird because, um, um, like when I, once I don't have a tag or whatever and I'm, I'm done, um, a lot of times I've been hunting so hard. It's like a relief and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I can just kind of kick back a little, but it doesn't take the two days and I'm pacing the floor. <laughs> I want to be back out there. You know, you know, you think, you think you want to stop, but you don't, you're just tired from doing it every day and probably need a day's break or something. But for me, I mean, I always want to be out there. I always want to be pushing. I mean, it, uh, it kills me right now. My friends are out hunting. I mean, we're open until January 31st and I'm not. And, um, I keep trying to get uh, buddies that got a tag to come over so I can go out hunting with them. And they're like, I don't want you telling me where to hunt and sit over the top of me with a camera. <laughs> 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 now that I said that, I'll probably get a million requests from your uh, listeners. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's there's uh, definitely um, a drive to be out there all the time. I mean, in an ideal situation, I would like to um, 
you know, be chasing deer and never get them. And then it gets to the last day and you shoot them last minute. That would be the ideal situation for me. You get to do the whole season and have all that adventure and, and fun, you know? Yeah. I, I really, um, kind of a, just for, for my own, like, sanity i like you saying that you do the scouting you know when you're out there with the rifle uh because john he's like if you take a rifle out there you know we can't we can't do this anymore this is this is done and it's like i feel the same way it's like you know i don't necessarily know you know i'm i'm not on that level so what i'm trying to search more i can cover more ground walking than i can so just carry your bow i mean he jumped, works too, yeah. you jump the buck you don't get a shot he might be there next year when you come back right but that kind of that kind of leads it my one of my really good friends he's hunted this area for i mean for our whole lives i mean for 30 years and he's killed good bucks but never real consistent and like this year he's got like four different good bucks even in late season and he's been over to my house like the last three days he's like you went to Dan's uh, workshop. I want you to come out here and and scout this spot and tell me how to you know how to get on these bucks. I'm like, well, dude. I I mean, I went to his workshop, but I, I'm still a freaking dummy. You know, what I mean. But he's like, so like, what what food are they eating? You know, what am I supposed to be looking for? And if I do find beds and stuff now, how does that translate into next season? Like, are they going to, they're not going to be there. Are they going to be there in, you know, early season or is it after the pressure? I'm like, I don't know. I'll try to ask Dan, but I mean, that's a whole lot of shit to be asking without having you walk the property, but. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's probably your average person thinks like that. I get questions like that all the time. And, and basically what it is, is, He's still hunting. He's got a scout in the distance, especially late season. And this time of year in Michigan or Wisconsin, those deer are on a real pattern. They're going from bed to food and back and forth just constantly. Um, as a matter of fact, I got trail cameras out and they're driving me nuts because I got big bucks coming in all the time now and I'm not hunting. But they're going back and forth on a, a you know bed to food pattern. And the problem with it is there's no leaves, no cover. And they're watching open areas and stuff. And you go in there and you bumble around following tracks and climb up a tree and spook them out of there. You're not going to see any deer. And you go like, well, there's tracks, there's no deer. Right. You kind of got to sit back and watch it from a distance before you go in there and figure out a vulnerable way to get in there without them seeing you get in there. And see where they get close to something you can kill them. And see how many deer come out, where they come out, what you can get away with, and then move in. And you, got, and you can do that more this time of the year because this time of the year they're on the best patterns are on out of the whole year when we talk about pattern in early season but really early season they might come in one day and not the next day they come they move someplace else or, and then three days later they're back where they were you're still patterning them but it's a little more hit or miss where this time of the year they really get on a solid pattern until they get bumped and he could just go out there and sit back and watch and get on them but if he's already moved around in there he's already got them skittish yeah see but, like uh our season ended, so he's been up, like he was up, he stayed up at his cabin for, he just got home and then been in my house every day, but he was like, he's hunting this, it's a big swamp, cedar swamp, there's some hemlocks and stuff like that, and he's like, well, I followed the tracks out, and he's like, and I, but it's like, it's swamp, but it's open, like you can see like 200 yards, and he's like, then there I'll find like a little raise, like maybe it's a foot higher than the rest, and I'll find a bet. 
He's like, how the hell do I get to that? I'm like, well, you're going to have to sit back. I mean, I would, obviously he's there for a reason because he could see, you know, 200 yards. So he's going to see anything, any danger coming. But he's like, so how do I, how close is too close? And <laughs> I'm like, so well, what I do is I get to the, to the bedding area. I, I look around because it's usually not one bed, especially yeah. if it's a spot that's used a lot. There's usually several beds because it's going to bed there on different winds, right? Mm-hmm. So what, you, what I do is I get in there and I look at the beds at this time of year. I'm going to look out from there and I'm going to sit in that, like the spot where I can see the best in the direction that they're, the, the, the travel route's going. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look and look and look and I'm going to see how far can I see and what's the furthest object I can see. And I'm going to get about to that point just a little beyond, and I'm going to make a setup. And that's where I'm going to be next year when I want to hunt that spot. Okay. Um, so that I'm just barely out of sight, I'm out of sound, and I'm out of smell. But I want to be just barely because a lot of times those bucks get up and they only move 75 yards in daylight if it's, if it's a you know trophy, trophy buck. And then guys will say, well, I, you know, I have deer that walk further. I've had deer go 200 yards. And, you know, was it mature? And, well, I had that happen once. And, okay, you had it happen once. So you're going to base all your hunting on that. So what I'm saying is most of the time they only get a short distance. So if you want to be consistent on trophy bucks, you got to get as close as possible. Because a lot of the times, the ones I've killed unknown bedding areas, I'm killing them 75 yards, 100 yards in that bedding area, sneaking in there like a mouse really quietly, setting up. And when I shoot those deer, and there's been nobody in there hunting before, so they have no idea nobody's hunting. When I shoot those deer, it's almost closing time. Yeah. It's right at gray light. So um, that just tells you you have to get really close. But you, So you have to play this game of how close is too close. And sometimes the only way to know that is to see a few tails fly up, you know? Right. Uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny, Dan, is like, like I said, you know, us going to that scouting seminar, like when you're saying that, I'm like, it's just the same as like standing in the marsh and you're saying it like right over the bed. Like I can, you know, we did that video and you're like, oh, it's going to get so many views. And like a lot of people have watched that, <laughs> that video, that's for <laughs> sure. And, but like I said, when you're, you're saying that stuff, it, to see it in, in real life, like when you're saying, okay, this is, this is the tree that I would be in and the beds are, are right there. And then for us, like being able to go out and, you know, kind of do our best to, to emulate that. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know what you're doing. I I mean, the seminars are, are pretty cool. Like it's a great, um, like thought process or premise, you know, to something to think about, but like when you're there, it's like, you know, we, I'm sure we said it on the podcast that we did on our way home from there, but it's like, nobody will bring you into their hunting spot and say, this is exactly how I set up. Um, now have you done seminars like that? Or, um, you know, you said big woods is the, the toughest. Um, so was that kind of like what you were hunting in, in Pennsylvania? Would you call that big woods? Yeah, but it was silly. So and then it was a saving grace because there wasn't as high a density of deer over there than that there is here, but I could look at the elevation and know where they should be. So I could cover a huge piece of woods and say, based on this wind and this ele- they should be on this elevation. So in this three or four square miles, they should be in this spot. 
then you can go out there and if there's no deer there, move on instead of having to scour a whole woods or a whole area. So because of the rolling hills and uh, and the ridges, I was able to pinpoint the deer and get onto good deer a lot faster. And have you done like a big woods uh, scouting seminar? I know you've done some hill country ones. Um, have you done anything? Yeah, like we, that? we did one, but it wasn't flat. Um, we did one in um, Tennessee, um, but it wasn't flat. It was it was hilly, and it was a struggle. I mean, um, it was mature woods that made it hard because um, that made the bedding lacking. But uh, but we still got onto some big bucks during that seminar. And it was you know, and that that situation is a, was a struggle for me because I went down there with not ever walking on that property before. And, uh, I walked it the day before I took the guys out. So I, I felt pressure to find some, you know, good bedding to show them and show them some setups. And usually I can walk into a green area and really get on some good stuff. And that was hard. That was the land between the lakes down there. Okay. It was, uh, it was a little tough to get on. Them. And so was that, that must've been more like, one of your public land challenge type scenarios where just looking at it on a map and then having to go in there and, you know, say, this is, this is what I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I went, I went in there based on maps and, um, when I got in there, it wasn't what I expected. So it was, a, it was a little bit of a challenge and it was kind of funny cause I thought that, you know, people would be a little disappointed and, uh, you only find a couple of real good bed areas. And, uh, the people were like, uh, really happy that I struggled a little. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't want me to make it easy because that would mean they, they were failing all these years, I guess. <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say is I think, you know, in that type of situation, like, you know, I think why people like to listen to guys like John and I is that, you know, it's like, I don't know, like the hair club for men, like, you know, we're not only, you know, selling it we're the president you know like we're we're not we're struggling hunters too you know and so yeah. when i mean the whole premise of like what you're saying is like when you're watching guys on tv um you know just kill bu- big bucks all the time and you mm-hmm. just walk in and you know that's what it is you know i think probably dan whether you like it or not you've be- become kind of one of those guys on tv but doing it without <laughs> you know the the feeder and and, and all of that you so. know what i guess what the difference is is, is um those guys can give advice and, and a guy like me can give advice um but if you haven't been successful on the same type of ground i mean it's different to farm deer than it is to um go out and hunt them on public ground without no food sources or creating anything or taking a stand on your back i you know i i I, you know, I don't want to sound cool to those people because I like a lot of those people that have those farms and we'd all like to have a farm like that. But it's a whole different world and I've hunted ranches that are managed and had 150-inch deer walking by you like they're, like they're fawns, you know. Look at you in the tree and just keep feeding. It's a whole different world. I mean, those people really, um, the advice they're given just isn't credible for guys like you and me and uh that's just reality right and that's kind of a good transition um you know when you say going in with a with a stand on your back and and everything so you like we said at the beginning you had just had your 
stand released. Now we got to see a stand last year at the uh, at the seminar there, the scouting seminar. What does this uh, final production stand look like uh, compared to that one? Or I guess what has changed um, in this new stand? Uh, not a not a whole lot. Probably not much that you'd notice. Um, I changed um, the way it grips the tree a little little differently um, to make it a little better. Um, just tweaked it a little bit. I'm I'm always tweaking stuff, making things as best I can. That's why it takes me so long to release something. <laughs> I always want everything perfect. And uh, we took some weight out of some areas and uh, added some strength in some other areas. Um, but that's uh, all we did that was different. It's got a really cool anodized finish now. And then we, we built uh, um, an integrated uh, way to stack your sticks in the back of it. Now, are the um, standoffs, are they as sharp enough to shave with? Like, because I know Adam's got <laughs> your bee sticks, and I have to, and I just built him a new string for his bow, like, before he went out west, and now I have to build him another string because apparently one of the bee sticks touched his string. And <laughs> you can carry those things in case you run into a grizzly bear. <laughs> right. Oh, man, I just, my hands are just healing up. I've got, like, cuts all over from grabbing the sticks and you know grabbing them in the dark and stuff and i mean it, everybody yeah, we changed that we we, we <laughs> put a um a, a radius around them because they were so sharp i actually you gotta remember when i first built those i built those for me right. and i went on a really sharp edge on those where it just cut into the tree and locked in really tight but um yeah there was a few people cutting themselves we had to <laughs> 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 i had to just settle for just not quite so sharp <laughs> And so, you know, that statement right there, you, you built those for you. Um, can you, you know, so maybe some guys, you know, I, I can't imagine that they're listening to this podcast and haven't heard about your, your tree stand to this point, but um, can you tell us a little bit about the journey, like of this, the, the tree stand that you've got and did you ever think that it would come to production? Well, um, I think where I was at is all the uh, gear, for mobile guys is stuff made for guys that hunt permanent stands. There was nobody out there making mobile gear and it, it kind of, you know, we were making stuff that worked okay. Um, work like lone wolf cast stands worked, but they're a little heavy. They weren't built quite for a mobile guy. They were really designed and built for guys that are going to put, you know, five, six of them on their land, but they worked okay for mobile hunting. Um, I didn't like the, the every aspect of the sticks for mobile hunting. I didn't like every aspect of the stand. I really wanted something light. A lot of times I'm going back miles and I'm going through water waist deep and you're pushing through stuff. I wanted something thin, small, where I could get through thick cover. Um, you know, built for a mobile guy. And nobody had nothing and nobody was going in that direction. And, I had talked to the owners of Lone Wolf about going in that direction. They didn't seem real interested at the time, thought it was a phase or whatever. And so I just decided to do something on my own. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to make it to market it. I'm just going to make myself a tree stand and, and make myself some sticks. And, and I'm going to make it my way. I'm gonna, and and, and what, it might sound a little bizarre to people, but you got to remember, that's kind of my, my career. That's what I do for a living outside of hunting is I'm a, a R&D machine, machinist where I, I work with engineering teams to build new products, mechanical products out of metal, 
and problem solve. So I fix issues with, with new products and stuff that are pretty complicated. So I've been doing that my whole life. So when I look at products that are on the market for hunting, and I know hunting, I look at them in a different light than other people do. I see all the issues with them. You know what I mean? And I, and I see how I could fix them because I understand uh, the properties of metal the, you know, and plastics and all that. And uh, so there was a lot of problems I had with, uh, with the sticks, like um, the length of them were too long. And then they had too short of a stride in the steps um, where you're wasting, um, you know, putting too much weight on there for how much stride you got. So I wanted to be, you know, a length of a step, one step, so that you don't have excess weight on or over that. And um, I wanted a rigid, you know, step so that it wasn't squeaking, it wasn't washers, there wasn't bolts to loosen up and all that. So it was bolted together solid with nothing in between it so it would never come loose, never squeak. And I wanted a really tight fit. So I actually extrude our own tubing so it's always the same size. And I extrude the step to fit almost an exact fit. So that there's no moving parsets that, you know, squeak against each other. Uh, I didn't like the buttons because they were uh, an ABS plastic that breaks down and they would fold over. And every now and then you'd break a button off. So I made some um, um, high-grade Delrin buttons that are as strong as aluminum. And uh, then I took all the weight out of it, you know, by uh, using computer models um, to see where I could remove material. And uh, I mean, I just made them just exactly the way I'd want them. And I used computer models and diameters of trees that I figured we'd be in and tweaked where were the points should be to lock this thing into a tree get it to really lock because the biggest problem with short sticks is they kick out and I didn't want mine to kick out. So, uh, I, I tweaked those models, got the points down pretty good and then went out and did field testing and kept doing it until I got them right. And, uh, when we got done with the sticks, I mean, they're, they're two pounds and they're strong as hell and they won't kick out and they lock in and you can quietly stack them together and, put them on the back any stand and with a couple of plungies and uh, I really like the sticks. So then it was to build a stand and uh, the stand, my idea was to um, get a patent rolling, which I got a patent pending right now on, on machining or water jetting tree stands out of solid billet. And uh, the reason uh, I wanted to do that and what most people wouldn't understand is there's a grain to um, extruded material where cast stands don't have that grain. So with extruded material, I could reduce the weight significantly because I can reduce the size of the material because the uh, extruded material will flex and it won't just snap like cast. Cast is fragile. So I, uh, I machined the stands up a solid billet so I can make it really lightweight because of that. And uh, it's an expensive process though. But um, so we got the weight real low down and I worked really good on the height and stuff, um, making a, um, um, a bracket that attaches to the tree that you're getting onto an angle up to about 10 degrees of angle of tree. And, uh, it's just a superior stand. So when you start with your, your billet plate or whatever, how, how much, I mean, like how big is that plate? How thick and like, what's the initial, well, 
I think the plates are like, uh, I want to say they're 12 feet long by about uh, 8 feet wide. Or something like that. I don't really work with the plate stock too much, but we get them in plates like that, and then we put them in a water jet and cut them out. Okay. And what's the the thickness? Because so, looking, you did a, you and Mario did a really good video, um, kind of going through all the features and and everything. Uh, but the tabs where the the down tube attaches are those welded on there then, or is that still machined? Like out? Oh, that's welded on. Okay, because I was like, that would have been a ton of material to remove just to keep those in yeah. a single yeah. spot. Like, wow. So Yeah, it's welded on. And, and through that that process, I mean, how long did that that take? I mean, it, it would took you a couple minutes to explain the process. How long have you been working on the stand? Oh, we've been working on it for quite a while. Um, I think it's been about six years. You know, a lot of it was quiet. I mean, uh, we were even doing drawing, drawing the stuff up before that, but I think I've been hunting out of it for at least six years now. Um, and a lot of it, we had to, you know, not let pictures be shown and stuff while I was hunting and stuff like that. But um, I really wanted to, you know, when I use something, I want to hunt with a tweak it and uh, make it better and just keep looking for problems and stuff. And a lot of companies, what they do is they throw products at people they just they just get an idea manufacture a bunch of it sell it to people and then look for the problems that come back and the returns that come back and and then they make a tweak in a you, you know a second version or third version and you know i don't like doing that i mean this is an expensive product i want to be right when it goes out the door and i'm used to doing that in my business you know making things that are you know are really nice and uh, i think if you're selling a 50 dollars tree stand or something fine. I mean, you can sell something that squeaks, makes noise, and is crappy. But if you're going to sell something for the price that we're, we have to sell it for because of the manufacturing we put into it, we have to have a quality product. And so, um, for the the response of the the public, right? So once you've, um, when you release the sticks, and so those have been out for, what, two years now? Or so? Yep. Mm-hmm. So when you released those, what was the uh, initial response? Because I can tell you what my first thoughts were, but I mean, the initial response was that they were really expensive. Everybody went berserk about the price. Um, and my response was, and and this is what I told Mario, I said people are going to go nuts when they see the price. Um, and we wanted to get that price as low as possible. I mean, I think a lot of people have the idea that we're doing that to get rich and just because people have to pay it, but it's not true. It's the manufacturing process to, to do all that machining on there. It's, it's expensive. So that comes right back into the, to the price. So we expected a lot of negative feedback, but my point was when it gets in somebody's hands, they're going to look at it and go, okay, yeah, it's a stick. It's solid. The steps don't move, whatever. And they're going to think, oh, you know, who'd pay that? But what I knew was that if somebody uses this and if they've been using the other products that are out there for mobile hunting, and if they truly mobile hunt, they're going to see the need of it. So if, it, if one guy in a group gets it and shows his buddies, everybody that touches that stick is going to buy it. And that's basically what it's been. I mean, at first, everybody screamed about the price. 
And it's kind of hard to tell somebody something works really good. And they're not going to listen to you, especially if they're not going to listen to me. They're going to think I'm trying to sell them a stick. But I, I knew I had to get it in people's hands. And once it did get out there and get in hands, then it just took off like crazy. And all, nobody complains about the price. But now with the stand, I'm getting the same thing. I mean, we put it out there. It's a, it's a heavy price. But, you, you know, it costs to do that type of machining. It costs to make that type of uh, platform. And it costs me more to make that stand just just to make it than you can buy just about any other stand for. So I know that the people are going to complain about it. They're going to whine. They're going to they're gonna say, oh, Dan's an ass for selling it for that price. I, I can't help it. you got to sell it for what you have to sell it for. I can't, I can't lose money giving them away. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? So it is what it is. And if somebody doesn't want, they don't have to buy it. But the people that get it in their hands and try it and see that it's a lifetime investment will understand. I mean, just think of a, a, a bow somebody buys. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> oh, there you go. So a bow's got a riser on it. How's that riser made? Just like I make my tree stands. The same way. They're using the same processes. Then it's got two limbs, two cams, and a string, and you throw it away after five years. This stand's gonna last a lifetime. Right. Most guys like buy a bow for twelve hundred bucks, you know, when they come out like right now, and then next year at this time, that bow's you go to get rid of it and you're lucky to get half of it. You know, like you're lucky to get six hundred bucks out of a used bow after one year right. old. You know. Right. And you got a tree stand that you're gonna use forever. And if you do want to get right. rid of it, I see guys selling the climbing sticks that they bought the first year we were selling them for what they go new. Right. Just because we can't keep up with, with orders. Exactly. I think I, so exactly what you said, like I saw those sticks and I was like, oh my God, there's no way that anybody would pay that. There's no stick, you know, worth that. And then I start, you know, like you said, if you mobile hunt, so I used like just about every other stick, you know, that had come to the market. And I think if you want to call like the stick that you have the, in the class of the new premium stick, um, I think because that's kind of like the way that, that things are going now, you know, there's been others that have popped up, but I was like, okay, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. So I took the API sticks and I cut them down and I completely mimicked your stick and it was, it was okay. It was, but it was, I think they were like 2.4 pounds, 2.6 pounds, something like that. And then exactly what you said, like once I got, once I held on to one of your sticks, I was like, I'm going to buy them. And I think I paid more than you were selling them for, uh, for a set of four of them just because they weren't available. But it was like, it's going to be worth it for me. Like, I'll just, I'll just take them. And like, that's, we just did a podcast on the gear that we use this year. And John had asked me about that. And I'm like, the only thing I don't like about them is that I have to be careful where I put them (laughs) because they're going to rip my seats in my car or they're going to, uh, you know, I've got holes in my pack because they're so sharp. I might have to get you some new brackets. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that was just that first, that first run of them that we did that were like that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I did some like looking because I mean, if you're, on any of the mobile hunting pages or anything like that, you know, the gear that's on there, like some of it is absurd. And one of the things you gonna you guys were talking about bows, like today, <laughs> there was a double barrel crossbow that was just released 
and we were talking about it earlier. The John was at the bow shop uh, earlier this week when they when he saw one before it was released, and the MSRP on it is two thousand two hundred and twenty two dollars and twenty two cents, and I think the map pricing on it is two thousand dollars. It's just absurd, <laughs> and so, but you can't go on any of the mobile hunting forums without seeing somebody in a Sitka fanatic jacket or, and saying how great it is And they're $449. I mean, the incinerator jacket is $650 for a jacket. You know, if you want to get a saddle set up with a platform and ropes and, and everything, I mean, you're going to spend at least, you know, $400. And that's if you really are on the budget side of, putting it together and, and it's, it's going to be more than that. 800. You know, when you talk about packs, you know, Kufaru is, if you want a, a frame only is $400 and then the pack is two to $300 on top of that, you know? Yeah. It, my XO pack, 660 bucks for a basic, you know? <laughs> so, you know, we've got all of these guys and it's like, I, I think, I was talking about it with somebody at work when I was saying, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. And we were talking about your stand a little bit. And do you think that because, um, you know, your persona or, you know, your hunting model is, uh, you know, blue jeans and t-shirts and, uh, all of this, that you identify with the blue collar guy and you're out there trying yeah. to teach people how to hunt. <laughs> And then it ends up saying, you know, he's coming out with the stand and now your price point. Do you think that that is it or is it haters or is it, I, I is think it all people of it? expected it to be lower um, just because of the persona thing. Um, but I can't I can't change what it costs to manufacture. And as a matter of fact, if there's any way we could, we'd have it lower. I mean, I want people to use it. I want people to have it. But the truth of the matter is all products, just like you were just listing, all new products that are going to a niche industry and mobile markets and niche industry are high priced. I mean, it's not like I can make, make and sell 20,000 of them. It, it costs money to make them in small batches. It just does. And you're talking about a premium product. I mean, right. And I mean, I mean, we've all, I've always used lone wolf and, uh, before, before the mobile market, lone wolf was the highest price tree stand. And when, when, I can remember in the eighties when we were selling them for 75 bucks and people were, were going, that is ridiculous. <laughs> well, and we were at the, I mean, you, you talk about that. We were at the, the tethered booth, um, this, you know, before everything shut down last year and, you know, we were explaining like, so somebody would say, well, what if I want to buy everything, a complete setup, everything that you have here for sale. And it was about $800. Um, it was it was seven or eight hundred dollars for for everything, and it was just you know you watch their eyebrows raise, and that was kind of that was kind of that, you know. And you know we've said it before, like we live in a bubble, so we we think that everybody knows what this stuff costs or or what it even is, you know. So when you're mm -hmm. and 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 that's one thing I wanted to talk about with you with like the the transition from like your forum from the hunting beast forum to the Facebook groups and everything like that. Um, what kind of shift have you seen in the, 
I don't want to say like the caliber of person. Environment. Uh, yeah, I guess, the, yeah, John, this is a much better word, the environment um, on there as far as like communication and banter. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, um, um, I love my forum and I always have. It's it's my go-to place. Um, the people on there are all like family for the most part. Um, even some of them you argue with a little bit, you're still friends. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. uh, and you don't really argue. You just debate something. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But um, when you get on Facebook, um, people are just rude. They're just nasty. They're mean. I think uh, a lot of people um, like join our page that don't even know who I am. You know, don't know nothing about me. And uh, don't know nothing about beast hunting. They're just joining it because it's a page full of hunters where they can get under and insult people. You know, so we're constantly having to remove people because I'm trying to keep it clean. I'm trying to clean up the swearing and stuff like we did on the forum because our forum is, is like it is because if anybody talks back to anybody, we just get rid of them. We're not, we don't put up with that at all. If you, if, you, if it's something you wouldn't say to somebody's face, you ain't saying it online either. I'm, I'm not on my site, but Facebook has been a really a challenge to clean that stuff up. And a lot of those guys will go create a new profile and come back on as somebody else. Um, so then you start not letting people that are new on and you, because you think it's one of the old people and it's just like, it's a vicious circle. Um, but yeah, there's just constantly rude and nasty people on there. And, and I mean, a lot of the people on there don't hunt like us. They're not mobile hunters. They're just on their cousins hunters. And those are the people that really freak out about price. You know, I, I had a guy say, how am I supposed to put 30 of these on my land? If, if they're that price, that ain't what it's for it's not right. for you. <laughs> Put 30 of them on your land. Go buy something cheap. I would too. <laughs> so uh, I guess what has been the response on the forum uh, to the stand? The forum has been great. I mean, um, uh, I mean, there's a few guys that say it's too expensive for them, and I get that. It's not for everybody, but they're respectable about it. And, you, you know, and they can debate it and talk about it in a respectable manner. Uh, anybody that hates Facebook, I would suggest they go – check that out because that forum is a nice place to have discussions and, uh, and, and get advice without being put down. It's a good place to have, you know, to let your kids on too. You have filters in so you can't swear on there or Facebook don't. You know. Okay. So this year, um, for you, um, you ended up, you know, you shot a, a 10 point on, a piece of private land that you've been hunting with, with your buddy there. And, and you had a, a interesting moment where he shot one of the deer that quote unquote, you know, you were after you, can you talk about that a little bit and how that kind of made you feel, um, you know, having him yeah, get the, uh, that deer. That was a very interesting, uh, a year and a, and a very interesting few days. Cause, uh, um, that's the best season we've ever had there. It's a really small farm. It's uh, 70 acres and it's mostly open and uh, it's got, it's always had heavy pressure all around it. But uh, in the last few years, um, uh, a pretty, a pretty decent guy leased the land um, on the one end of us where it was always a bunch of just hillbillies would drive it and they'd sneak on our property and stuff and kill everything. And he leased it and he's trophy managing. So he, so it's really helped us. But on the other side of us, we still have a guy that shoots everything. 
So it's not it's not easy over there, but it's been it's been starting to get better. And uh, um, because of the openness and stuff, it's it's hard. I mean, we don't have a lot of bedding on the property and stuff. But um, that the ten pointer I got, I had never seen before. We never got it on a camera or anything. But then when I checked my cameras, um, just recently, as a matter of fact, I got pictures of it coming onto the property uh, uh, the night before I shot it, following a doe. And it was following that doe when I shot it. Um, so then I got that buck. And uh, just before I got that buck, um, I hunted in the back and uh, I went down to this tree stand I had put up. I put it up pre, I pre hung it because it was in such a delicate area. So I went in there and, um, and hung the stand right up against these bedding areas because it's like 50 y- yards from the bedding areas. And, and it's really tough to sneak in there. So I snuck to the stand that nobody had hunted yet and had been in there for a while. And as I get up to the tree, I look up and I see a deer walking on the hillside next to me at about 20 yards, but I was really sneaking. Um, but I was kind of surprised it didn't catch me because it was dry leaves. So I'm sitting with this little tree in front of me that I'm about to climb, looking around the tree at this buck, and I can see it's got, you know, a pretty decent 10-point rack, but I can't make out a lot of it, but it's definitely a shooter. And I could literally pick up my bowl right now and shoot it. But I, I, I decided I didn't want to. I wanted to get in the tree and see if I could get the camera on and stuff. And I just figured it wouldn't work, but I'd try. So I climb up this tree, and the buck's still there, slowly feeding past, but still in an open area within 20 yards. I get my bow up there. I get my camera up there, and I, I start putting my camera arm on, and I'm looking, and this thing's still there. And I'm trying and trying and trying, and I get my camera on it, and I'm and in my haste, I didn't get it tight enough, and the camera starts to fall. So I have to hold it up with like my knee, hang my bow up again, and get this thing on. And by the time I get it reset, the buck just walks out of the shooting lane and uh, I tried calling it back and it just wouldn't come back. It just kept walking. So then, like, like I said, um, when I, when I went out, I noticed that there was a whole bunch of heavy trails going to the front of the farm. And uh, the wind was wrong the day that I saw that buck down the bottom. So the next day I'm going to go back out there and I called Dave and Dave's had cancer He's been having a hard time getting out and stuff. He's getting better now. I mean, through treatments and stuff, but it's been a long road. But he just said, hey, Dan, I ain't got the energy. I'm like, dude, you could hunt the front. I could go after that buck back there. And and he said, I just don't have the energy. I said, okay. So I went out there alone. And I get out there, and uh, I kept thinking, well, with the way the wind's going, if I walk past the front, I'm going to blow that deer out of there. Whatever's making all that sign going in there. You know, um, it really wasn't buck sign, but there's just heavy trails going into this bedding area, and I just figured there's got to be a buck in there. And I thought, well, okay, I'll hunt the front. Tomorrow I'll come back, and I'll hunt the back where that buck was. So I hunt the front, and I ended up shooting that 10-pointer um, on that skinny little tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but the tree was like four <laughs> inches in diameter. Yeah, No back cover. So a- anywho, I get the buck. So Dave comes out, helps me with the buck and stuff, and I'm telling him he needs to go back after the buck, and he's like, oh, okay, I will, I will. So then the wind was kind of wrong, so 
you could still hunt, but you couldn't hunt where I was. You had to get like up on the top. So he gets up on the top, sits back there, and that buck comes out. And he shoots it and takes a longer shot at it. He shot like 40 yards. Um, and the buck runs off, and he comes, gets me, and we go look, and his liver hits, so we backed off. And I'm asking him, what do you think it was? And he says, well, I think it was about a 140 or something. I'm like, do you recognize it? And I don't know. I've never seen that buck before. You know, so he gives me the footage and I come home and I'm putting it in the computer and I'm zooming in. You can't really, with the footage, tell how big it is. But one thing I can tell is that's a hell of a lot bigger than 140. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, next morning we go out there um, because we wanted to back off for a night because of the, I was pretty sure he hit it in the liver based on the blood. And it was a good thing we did. It got, it got about um, two or three hundred yards, and had uh, did a semi loop in that, and bedded watching its back trail, and uh, would have got out of there if, if we would have tracked it. Um, but we found it there dead and, and got it. And uh, when we walked up to it, I looked at it and I was like, "Oh my God, that's the buck we've been hunting for like six years." <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh my God, it is. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's the 10 pointer. So, um, we got that buck, you know, we got the video up, uh, and I think on the video, uh, I think I said it was from like, we were hunting it from like 2016, but when I went back over the, uh, pictures, I think it was 2015 when it was a two year old, I think it was an old buck. We actually had the taxiderm and send in a tooth to be cut in half to see what the actual age is. But we got trail camera pictures from that thing um, from like 2015 or 2016 all the way up. And I've got a really big shed from it from two years ago. Um, so that was pretty cool that he got that buck, you know, and the cancer and stuff. He hasn't gotten a buck in a long time. He hasn't been getting out there hunting and stuff. And, uh, and uh, Dave's a really good friend. And I don't know anybody who uh, puts in as much effort as him. And he actually legitimately felt bad. He's like, well, that's the buck you've been after. I'm like, dude, it's your farm. (laughs) (laughs) I said, watching that video, I think I thought you were almost more excited than he was about it. (laughs) Yeah, he he, he was, I think he was kind of shocked a little bit, but I think he was like feeling bad that I didn't shoot it. It was kind of weird. But I love Dave to death. He's a great guy. That's, Can't yeah. find a more pure guy. Is just uh, you know brutally honest about everything. Um, he's a great guy, and I, I couldn't be happier for him. Well, that's pretty awesome. Now, when you're hunting a small property like that, it's more just one of the things based on like what you had just kind of outlined there that I wanted to ask you about is on a small property like that. How do you balance like how many you know? how many sits is too many or how, you know, how, how do you know if you're putting too much pressure? And and that's a really good question because I think most people put too much pressure on. And what we've always done is we've always like, like hunted like um, once every couple of weeks and do a lot of our hunts from a distance and watch in and wait till we see something, you know, and then move in. Um, Cause it's an open area. So we'll do some observing and stuff. We're putting a lot of food plot to draw deer in, but if you put a lot of pressure on them, they just go away. I mean, they got it's surrounded by swamp and they go bed on somebody else's property. So, um, 
This year we backed off even a little more. We didn't hunt there hardly at all early season. And just because we never really have a lot of luck there early season. We got a lot of does that live on the property and the bucks seem to come in just before rut, you know, the bigger stuff. So knowing that, knowing the history of that, we, we kind of backed off for the first part of the year and it, it really helped us this year. We had a lot of deer in there. Um, but if you go back a few years ago when, um, Dave had cancer, I mean, he, he'd be sitting home doing nothing. He'd go out and hunt too much. He'd sit out there all the time. And, uh, I mean, you can't knock a guy for wanting to hunt, but he couldn't get in the swamp like me. Um, but he could go climb a ladder stand or something, you know? Um, and you, you see the, the difference in the pressure. Um, he's, his health is getting up there now and, uh, um, we're going to get him set up with a nice mobile stand and some sticks and, uh, try and get him in the swamp a little bit more. So if you were going to get a stand for Dave, where would you go to find something like this? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Lone Wolf? Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your stand is, is available now. Um, oh, I guess one of the things I wanted to, to ask you, and I guess I when I looked on the site, it, um, it it's on there. Um, but the way that the, the sticks attach is through like a, kind of threaded rod system. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything in the works or are you trying to, or did you try, have you tried? I'm sure that you have uh, engineered something. So that, cause I was looking at it. And so you have different options for attaching three, four, five sticks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's different length uh, bolts. So you kind of have to, if you're going to bring them all or however many you got, you have to have the correct size rod. Yeah. So what I do is I, um, I always take five sticks. Now, most people buy four. So take that with a grain of salt. I just like having five. Most of the time I use four. Sometimes I use three. Sometimes I use two. Um, but most of the time I use four. I like five because if I run into a tree that's, needs five because you got to get a certain height to the cover or something. I just like having that extra one long, but whether I used four or I used five, I wouldn't take three because I'm going to a tree that uses three. And the reason is that when I hunt mobile and I go in, sometimes you get in an area and there's a hunter in the area. You can't hunt there. Now you go to another tree and you're like, Oh crap, I'm a stick short. <laughs> or sometimes you run into hot sign and you're like, this gotta be hunting out. You never make it to your tree. At least if you're Dan Infault, that happens a lot. <laughs> so I always take my full set of sticks because I don't know what I'm going to run into. Sure. So if I'm going to mobile, I'm taking the whole setup. So whatever I choose is my number of sticks. I mean, some guys use extensions and stuff and only want to take two sticks or something. Some guys take three. Some guys use four. Some guys use five. Whatever you use, I would I would take that all the time. I mean, you got to remember, we got these sticks down to the point where they're only two pounds. So another stick on her, you're not even going to notice. So you just put your full set of sticks on her and you take them. Now, a lot of guys um, um, perceive that the stick's got to be straight up and down because they've used longer sticks that don't go through the brush well and stuff. Um, but what they don't realize is I've field tested this thing for a while. We, were, we used them up and down. We used them sideways. We put them on her all different kinds of ways. We tested all kinds of crap this is the best way that I found to put them on there and they go right through the brush because it's the size of your body. 
you know, and uh, it works real well like that. And do you, you have two different size sticks? Are you still using the the longer sticks? I went to shorter ones. Um, I like the shorter ones; they fit really well onto onto the stand. Um, but the long ones fit under too. They you got to remember the longer ones are only um, four inches longer, so it's just two inches more on per side. It's not really that big of a deal. Um, but I like the shorter sticks. I didn't think I would. I built the longer sticks so it was my, you know, so it was a stride length of, of most people. But everybody wanted short sticks. Never, it's like the the in thing. So I made them with kind of like a chip on my shoulder, thinking, you know, this is stupid. You know, not what they want. They just think they want it, kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, when I got done with them and I actually used them. I'm like, hey, these things kind of rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the people were right now is wrong. But you, you, um, I guess the big thing with me was getting as high as I could with them. But what I found was, um, you're still stretching the stick just as far, whether it's a long one or a short one. So you're only lo- losing that four inches per stick. So if you're using four sticks, you're only losing 16 inches in height. I mean, I can literally just stretch them a little further and still get 20 feet, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of think that's all we got for this evening. I mean, I know we started kind of late here. I don't want to keep you forever. Um, but, you know, I do appreciate it. Where can people find these stands and, and sticks, and, and when will they be available if they're not right now? Um, the stands and sticks are available. I mean, they're on pre-order. But the stuff's coming up pretty quick. So if you order them now, it won't be much of a wait. Um, you can get them at uh, huntingbeastgear.com. And uh, we do have uh, uh, a pretty good video about the sticks and about the stand uh, on, our, on our YouTube page that explains all the details. If somebody wants to see what it is or really get a good look at it. Okay. And then what is the name of your forum if, if people haven't uh, found it already? The Hunting Beast. So it's pretty much thehuntingbeast.com. Okay. Well, I can say I think that's kind of all we got for this evening, Dan. Um, I just really appreciate it. And I mean, I think, like you said, when people go on there and they say, well, you know, they don't know who you are or this or that, uh, I don't think we can say it enough, you know, thank you for everything that you do for, for hunters like us and, you know, guys that are listening to, you know, inspire people to say that, you know, it's not that it's cool to go out on public land, but just to kind of open people's eyes to the fact that it's not, it's not as bad as you think. And it's probably better than you thought. So. Right. <laughs> I think you should put it the other way. Public land sucks. Everybody go out and buy their own and stay off the public. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Just stay away from the stuff behind my house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm driving home from work uh, last winter. Not this year, last year, in like spring. About this time last year. And I'm coming up my road here, and I live right in the public marsh. My, my house is surrounded by public land. So I'm coming up the road to it. And all of a sudden, bam, something goes bang, and there's sparks and stuff flying, and I'm flying all over the road. And my uh, my ball joint broke, and my tire folded under the truck. And my truck is in the middle of the road, 
with this tire folded underneath it. And I get out, and I'm only like not even a, a half mile from my house. Just got off the expressway going 80 for half an hour. <laughs> and uh, I get out, and I'm looking under the, the truck, and I get under it to look at it. And while I'm under the truck, I hear some crunching, and I look, and I see feet coming out of the swamp. So I pull myself up from under the truck. The guy walks over with his phone. He goes, you Dan and Paul, I came out here from Kansas to look at this marsh. I can't believe I ran into you. Can I show you a map quick? <laughs> came all the way from Kansas? <laughs> all the way from Kansas up here to scout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll probably listen to this and get mad at me, but it was funny. <laughs> a little bit funny. <laughs> so was he in the right area? <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> in my head like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so that was the 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 hunting beast rig? Yeah, yeah. Still sitting in my yard with the tire folded under it. I was going to fix it and never got to it. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking on Google Earth, folks, you're going to see this truck. <laughs> you know that that's the right spot. <laughs> anybody want to buy it i'll autograph it <laughs> hey you auction good yard order man <laughs> right oh man that's funny oh <laughs> uh, yeah dan i think that's kind of all we got for for the evening so all right appreciate you having me on all right no problem <laughs>